0: You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Hope everybody had a good Christmas and uh, we're looking forward to the new year. Do you remember as a kid that agonizing wait to open your Christmas presents? I, I, as a father now, watching my kids, I, I actually felt a little bit sorry for them throughout the month of December because they were so excited for that day to come where they got to open their Christmas presents, and, and society just taunts them. You know, it's like everywhere they go, it's Christmas. You see Christmas everywhere, yet at the same time, it's not here yet, and so uh, it's like na-na-na-na-na, nana, nana, it's not Christmas, you can't open your gifts yet, and, but finally, December 25th arrives, and all that hope, all that waiting is over, and it's time to open the gifts. Now, confession time, and this won't leave the room, okay? We're just 9.45 service here. Uh, other than the podcast, which can be heard globally, this doesn't leave the room, all right? How many of you, that was funny, how many of you as kids ever found your hidden Christmas presents? How many of you ever found, yeah, I several of you. Yeah, I know I, I found my hidden Christmas presents a few times. My dad thought that if he kept them in his trunk that I wouldn't notice them, but I noticed them there. And I was actually pretty adept at taking the scotch tape off the back of the gift and kind of peeking in uh, to the gift. Finally, my mom started catching on when all the paper was torn a little bit. And so she like bought stock in scotch tape or something like that and would tape those things down so thoroughly that there was no way I was going to look into those, those Christmas gifts. But waiting is actually a big part of the Christmas story. There were generations that were called a remnant that were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for God to do something that only He could do. They were waiting for Him to send a Savior. And for hundreds of years, there was waiting. Now think about this. A 400-year period of time People are waiting for God to send the Christ child, waiting for God to send the Savior. There were people that lived their entire lives waiting. They were faithful. They did the right things by God. They were hopeful that God would send His Son. They lived and died waiting, and some of them throughout their entire lifetime they waited, and when they died, the Messiah still had not come. Now, let me ask you this question. What is it in your life that has you waiting on God? As you take inventory of your life, what is it that has you waiting on God? Perhaps it's a job. You're waiting for that new job. You're waiting for that promotion at work. Maybe you're a single person and you're Ready to find the right one. And so you're waiting for a spouse. Perhaps uh, you're married and you're ready to start a family. And so you're waiting for a child. Maybe you're a parent and you have a child and you're waiting for that child to come back around to wisdom. Uh, Maybe you're waiting for guidance in a decision. Maybe you're in school and you're waiting for graduation. Perhaps you're sick. And you're waiting for health to return to your body. In all of our lives, we go through these seasons of waiting. And I want to take it even one step further and say that there are times when God calls His people into a season of waiting. Sometimes there are God-driven reasons that we wait so how do we wait well how do we become good at waiting on god and his timing now this is particularly difficult with an american culture because you may have noticed in looking around at society we don't wait very well as americans do americans like to wait No, we want our coffee to be instant. We want our entertainment to be instant. Uh, We we want things right now. Americans really don't know how to wait, and yet waiting is a part of life, and it's even a spiritual discipline to learn how to wait well. So we're going to look at a part of the story of the birth of Christ that People don't look at that often. It's found in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. It's normally titled something along the lines of the dedication of Jesus. The scene is the temple. It's about 33 days after the birth of Christ. So some time has taken place from the nativity. The presents have already been opened. The paper has already been picked up in the living room. Everybody's already gained five pounds Capital One Bowl Week is even over, and uh, people are now hitting the gym trying to uh, repent of their sins of too much pumpkin pie and too much uh, food. I mean, that's where we are. It's about 33 days after the birth of Christ, and the Scriptures say in verse 21, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived and when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished and that's where we get the 33 days because that was the days of the purification when the days were finished they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord just a little bible trivia there frequently the scriptures will say brought him up to Jerusalem even if they're coming down from the north and the reason for that is that uh, you went up in elevation to Jerusalem. And whenever you're walking, you tend to measure things by whether or not you got to climb a hill. Okay? So they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every first- firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, and two young pigeons. Now, several things I want you to notice about the passage here. First of all, they give the Christ child the name Jesus. Now Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. Yeshua. It comes into Greek as Jesus and it means literally Yahweh is salvation. At eight days into Christ's life he was circumcised. Now, I won't go too deep into this subject. I realize it sometimes comes up, particularly in uh, discussions when children are being born, things like that. Historically, uh, circumcision has not been so much of a health issue as it was a spiritual matter, particularly with the Jewish people. It was a sign of the covenant that you belong to God. And In historical Christianity, it's frequently been used as an identification that this child is going to be raised in a Christian home, that this this is a Christian young man or Christian family. After 33 days, firstborn sons were brought to the temple, and they would also bring a sacrifice to the temple. This was part of the Levitical law. And so Mary and Joseph, who were probably staying somewhere in the area of Bethlehem, a reasonable walk to Jerusalem. They walk to Jerusalem and they come to the temple. Now just a note here, and that is that you never see the baby Jesus baptized in Scripture. In fact, you don't see babies baptized in Scripture. You do see Jesus taken to the temple, the place of worship, to be dedicated to the Lord. And you do see that principle taught in Scripture to take the children to the Lord to be dedicated. But that word baptize, baptismos, the Greek it comes, it means to immerse. That word baptize uh, is something that a believer did in the New Testament to identify with Christ, to identify their belief in Christ. So Jesus is taken to the temple. Mary and Joseph walk into this wonderful house of worship, and in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now this man was righteous and devout, and he was looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah, guided by the Spirit. He entered the temple complex, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, and let's pause right there. There's a man here. He's an older gentleman. His name is Simeon. And the scriptures say that he is righteous. He tried to do the right thing. He was a man of integrity. He was a godly man. He was devout. He came to church even the Sunday after Christmas. He was faithful. You could count on him. He was a devout follower of God. He was genuine. He was forward-looking. He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. In other words, to God bringing the Messiah, to God uh, doing, uh, fulfilling his promises to Israel. And then also notice the Holy Spirit was on him. He was a man that was guided by the Spirit of God. God's Spirit, God's anointing was upon him, this man Simeon. Now, if you missed Christmas Eve, you missed out on Dr. Leo Day. Dr. Leo Day was our guest musician at Christmas Eve. He's an accomplished vocalist, having sung literally all over the world. He's sung in operas. He's sung contemporary music as well. He's the dean of church music at a Southwestern Seminary. And uh, at Christmas Eve, we thoroughly enjoyed his music. But Dr. Day had a life dream. And his dream was to be on stage with Lash and the Pallbearers, uh, you know, our, our own group here. And so uh, you can see here as, as Dr. Day's uh, dream is being fulfilled, and he's on stage, that he's overwhelmed with emotion, and uh, we are presenting him a Lash in the Pallbearer shirt, which I'm sure he's wearing today and will not take it off for many, many months, and And so it was really just a fa- fantastic moment in his life to be on stage with us. In fact, he told me after the services that uh, hearing us sing was something that he would not soon forget. Uh, he said it was just really a once-in-a-lifetime moment to hear us sing. And so we are so thankful that he, he had his dream fulfilled on Christmas Eve. But Simeon had a life's dream, a real life's dream. And his dream was to see the Messiah. He wanted to see the Son of God. And what's more is that God had promised him that before he died, he would see the Messiah. But now he had a problem. He was aging. He had waited and waited and waited. His health was beginning to fade. He had reached that stage that you see people reach towards the end of their life. He had reached that stage where he was really ready to die. Now the Bible says that he was guided by the Holy Spirit and that he came to the temple that day and when he laid eyes on the Christ child... The Spirit shared with him, this is what you've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. And his hope became reality. All of those years of waiting reached their culmination at this moment in his life. So how does he respond? Well, verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised. In other words, now I can die. I have reached my dream. I, I have seen, I, I, I have fulfilled what I've been waiting for. He says in verse 34, my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Now, Remember verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and that was one of the themes of Christ's life. We talked about that last week, that not only did he come for the shepherds, but he came for the wise men. Light was coming into the world for. Everyone, one of the themes of Christ is that the gospel is not just for a select few in a particular region of a particular ethnicity, but the gospel is for all people. And whosoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The light was a revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now several things about Simeon here. Number one, I want you to notice that when God answers our prayers, our response is to praise Him. When God answers your prayers, your response is to praise Him. I'm afraid that we have forgotten in 2013 Christianity that we have forgotten how to praise God. I'm afraid we've forgotten how to sing. In, our, in American culture today... Uh, we don't sing very much. Now, music is just as much a part of American culture today as it has ever been. Uh, The top shows on TV are often singing shows, but we don't stand around the piano and sing very much. And one of the things I've noticed is that for a lot of people when they come into church to sing, that's not something that we're real familiar with. So what are we doing when we sing? We're praising God. Praising God is a spiritual discipline praising God is something that the scriptures teach us to do so I want to encourage you even if it's a little bit of stretch of your comfort zone to sing to learn to praise God to lift up his name Jay you grew up in Kenya I bet in Kenya they knew how to praise God didn't they they would sing and they would they would be emotional sometimes in their praising of God and yet within our culture sometimes we've become very withdrawn and we don't really take the time to praise God. Here's a great exercise in your prayer life. Find you some time where you can really carve out some privacy. Go to a place where you like to pray. If you don't have a place where you like to pray, start thinking about a place where you could go and pray. Find you that place. And for 30 minutes, do nothing but praise God. Don't ask God for anything. Don't talk to God about the weather, unless you're praising God for the weather. But do nothing but praise God. Just Just try that. For a lot of us, it could be a very, very difficult thing to do, to do nothing but praise God. If, If you have to make some notes, these are some things I want to praise God about. It's okay to take those notes into that prayer time. If you're looking for a model of what it looks like to praise God, read the Psalms. You find that all through the Psalms where they're just praising God for who he is. When Simeon's prayers were answered, his immediate reaction was to praise God for what he has done. Now, I also want you to notice that sometimes the complete answer to our prayer isn't even seen in our lifetime. Simeon sees the Christ child. His dream was the consolation of Israel, his dream was the the Savior. But he doesn't see the cross, he doesn't see the resurrection. He sees the Christ child. He sees Christ early on in his earthly ministry. And there's a reality that sometimes the complete answer of God's prayer isn't even seen in our lifetime. Uh, this year, I've, I've learned of a story in my genealogy. I don't have time to go into the depths of the story today, but I've, I've learned that I'm actually a ninth-generation preacher. And there's a line of preachers in my family that goes all the way back to the late 1500s. And there was a man in England who was transporting the English Bible. And in the late 1500s in England, it was illegal to have the Bible. In many parts of England, it was illegal to have the Bible, or Europe, in English. Because Latin was the holy language. And so William Tyndale and others were killed because they had this dream that everybody should be able to read the Bible in their own language. So this man was killed, murdered... For transporting English Bibles. From that murder, uh, George Stovall found one of his Bibles and began teaching his children. From George Stovall's line, seven generations of Methodist preachers emerged over here in the United States. And then my dad came to Christ in 1952 at the Cotton Bowl and He jumped us from Methodist to Baptist, and then I followed my dad as a Baptist preacher. But you have nine generations that go all the way back to this man who was murdered. Now, this man had a dream that people would hear the gospel in English, and I don't imagine he ever dreamed how God would fulfill it. You see, sometimes the sovereignty of God and sometimes the plans of God are beyond anything we can ever imagine. And sometimes we don't even see the complete impact that we're having for the kingdom of God when we're faithful. Now, another thing about Simeon's story here is that we have to realize that, you know, you can be the Messiah and some people will still not like you. That's a hard reality of life. If you're a, if you're a person, and I, I have a lot of these tendencies, you're a person that likes people to like you. You know, some of you are like I don't care if anybody likes me. No one does like you. But anyway, uh, you know, some of us some of us we actually like people to like us. You know, we want to be likable. And and uh, one of the hard realities to to deal with is that not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to want you to be around. And Simeon tells Mary, your child is the Messiah. And then he also tells her, hey, some people are going to love him and some people are going to hate him. He's going to cause the rise and fall of many. He tells Mary, hey, you're gonna, being his mother is going to cause you some pain along the way. I often say just because you can walk on water and heal the blind doesn't mean everybody's going to love you. In fact, they may want to crucify you. And in an ironic twist of reality, sometimes it's the people who consider themselves to be the most religious that want to crucify the ones who walk on water and heal the blind. I'm talking about Jesus, of course. So remember this. Just because you follow God and do his will doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. Doesn't mean everybody's going to appreciate you. doesn't mean that life's always going to be easy. Verse 36 says, There was also a prophetess. Anna, a daughter of Fanuel of the tribe of Asher. and she was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. Now the, the HCSB translation here is a little bit difficult to grasp, but basically what it's saying is she's 84 years old. She was married to her husband for seven years, widowed, and, and that, that now she's 84 years of age. She did not leave the temple complex serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all people, or to to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Now here's this lady, Anna, Anna. Her name means grace. And she had gone through a lot of hurt in life. She was widowed early in her life. The fact that she then lived in the temple day and night probably yields to the idea that she did not have children, been married seven years, and now she's 84 years old. She spent most of her lifetime, probably about 60 years, in the temple day and night worshiping God. And she had developed a reputation. People in Jerusalem knew who she was. She was probably Miss Anna lady down at the temple who worships day and night at the temple. She was known as a godly woman. And notice how God's timing was perfect. For years, she too had waited for God to do something great. And now she comes up upon Simeon and Mary and Joseph just as he is praising God. She just happens to walk into the scene right at the perfect time. And she too starts praising God. You see, that day will forever be known as the day that the senior citizen's Bible class at the temple went charismatic, okay? Because the two senior citizens, Anna and Simeon, they were praising God and they were rejoicing and they were just having a fit because the Christ child was among them. Now, notice also, what does Anna do after she realizes she has met the Savior? She goes and tells others, She goes and tells everybody that she knows that was also waiting for the redemption of Israel, that was also waiting for God to do something great. She goes out and she starts telling others that the Savior is here. When we encounter the Savior, our natural response ought to be to tell others about what we have seen. Now, a big part of this story is waiting. Two individuals who had reached advanced years, who had spent their lifetime waiting It's a story of waiting, but it's also a story of hope, and it's a story of God and His timing. Back to my question earlier in the message. What is it in your life that has you waiting on God? What is it in your life that has you waiting on God? Follow-up question. How do we wait well? How do we wait well? I want to quickly share with you three simple things. I say simple. Sometimes they can be a little hard. But three things that we can do to wait well. And for your convenience, all of them start with the letter P. Because I'm a preacher and we like to do that sort of thing. Okay? The first is this. Promises. Remember. What God has promised. When you find yourself in a season of waiting, remember the promises of God. There's a hymn that starts standing on the promises. Maybe you find yourself as you're waiting being anxious and wondering if God is really there with you. Remember the promise of Scripture that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And rest in that promise. Maybe during this Christmas season, you find yourself grieving and you find yourself missing someone that has already gone to be with the Father. Well, remember the promise of heaven and remember that God has said, I will send you a comforter and I will comfort the heart of the one who grieves. Maybe you find yourself right now longing for a better life. There are some things in your life that are needs that you need God to provide Well, remember how the scriptures say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added unto thee. Rest in that promise. Find strength in that promise. Perhaps you're frustrated by the state of the world. You're frustrated with the government. You're frustrated with society. And you find yourself just wishing that something would change. Well, remember the promise that Jesus gave us where he says, I am coming again. And when he comes again, he's not coming as the Christ child, but when he comes again, he's coming as the Son of God to make all things new. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You have everything you need for a life of godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, by these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. You find yourself waiting on God for something? Rest in his promises. Go through the scriptures and look for those promises that God has made, and you'll find stability and strength in the promises of God. Secondly, pray. Pray. If God has you waiting, there's a reason. Is God not all-powerful? Is God not all-knowing? Is God not God? Yes, God is God. So if God has you in a season of waiting, there's a reason for that. Now, often, the reason why God calls us to waiting is because something needs to change. I teach my children that whenever they pray and ask God for something, that there's three answers that God might give us. Yes, no, or wait. And when God calls us to wait, it's because something needs to change so that Whatever it is that we're waiting on can actually happen. All right, so you're tracking with me to that point? Here's where it gets a little bit more difficult. Often, what needs to change is in our heart. and that's where it gets hard. Because often the reason why God puts us in a season of waiting is because there's something within us that needs to change. And he takes us through that season of waiting because he's growing us, he's stretching us. Maybe he's building faith within us. Maybe he's building patience within us. Maybe there's an area of integrity that he's going to work on. And there's something within us that needs to change. And we find ourselves in that season of waiting so that God can change that within us. Now, how does God mold the heart? How does God shape the human heart? Well, the greatest way that God molds our heart is through prayer. So often within our mindset, we think of prayer as, this is how I'm going to change God. God, this is what I want you to do. And so if I pray enough, if I pray hard enough, if I fast enough, if I be intense enough, then I will change the mind of God. But prayer is much more about changing you. As you draw near to God, as you talk to God, the Holy Spirit begins to shape your thoughts and shape your heart and show you things and grow you and mature you. As you return to God day after day, praying about the needs of your life, praying about the desires of your heart, God begins to shape your heart. And I find in my life, and I'm sure you find in your life as well, that whenever you really devote yourself to prayer, you begin seeing the world differently. A lot of that anger begins to lower in your life. Perspective begins to come into focus. Things change within our heart whenever we become servants of prayer when we draw close to God. So if you're in that season of waiting, stand on the promises of God and become a disciple who prays. Thirdly, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. If you're in a season of waiting, and you believe that one day you'll be called out of that season of waiting, then prepare yourself for that day. I, I tell single adults who are looking for a spouse, they say, Lash, I'm, I'm ready to get married. I say, well, first of all, realize that God's timing will be perfect. Whenever he brings that person into your life, his timing will be perfect. Whether that's next week, next month, next year, his timing will be perfect. So while you're waiting, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. After all, you don't want your future spouse to marry a slacker, do you? Prepare yourself. If you're in those college years, go to college, study hard, uh, get ready for the future. Prepare yourself for that day when God says, okay, here's the answer to what you've been waiting for. My great-grandfather, they used to call him Pap. He, he was consumed with the second coming of Christ. I mean, from what I understand, I, I didn't know him, but from what I understand, uh, he would just tell everybody that walked by his porch about the second coming of Christ. And he got so consumed with it later on in his life that he actually slept fully clothed. Because he said, if the Lord comes back while I sleep, I don't want to meet him in my underwear. And so he wanted to be prepared. Now, I think that's probably a bit extreme. But the point of all of this is that if you find yourself in a season of waiting, don't waste your weight. Don't spend your season of waiting playing Xbox. Don't spend your season of waiting just twiddling your thumbs. If you're in that season where you're waiting on God, prepare yourself. Build within yourself a a spirit of readiness so that whenever God's timing comes, you're ready to go. If you're in that season of waiting, use the wait wisely. I simply want to remind you this morning that God hears your prayers. You think of Simeon and Anna, two folks that prayed for years and years. They may have thought at times, why do I do this? Why do I pray? Why do I stay faithful? Why do I try to be this righteous person? Why don't I just bend my ethics? Why, do I just, why, why don't I just quit coming to temple? But God hears our prayers. He has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. He's listening. At the appointed time, he will turn faith into reality. At that appointed time, he will turn faith into reality. Your faith in God is not misplaced. Keep trusting in him. Be faithful. Do the right thing. He's God. He'll take care of the situation. As a minister, one of the things that I do is I walk through life with people. And sometimes I walk through life with people whenever they reach the end of this life here on this earth, and I have yet to walk through that stage of life with someone who says, you know, the biggest mistake I did was place my faith in God. Nobody says that. At the end of their life, they say things like, I should have trusted God more. I should have trusted God earlier. I should have realized that he was going to take care of me. Nobody gets to the end of life and say, whoa, that whole God thing, that was a big mistake. It's the exact opposite. They realize through the weight of years, through the weight of time, that God is with them and that placing their faith in him is trustworthy. He'll see us through. You see, often... As we are waiting on God to write our story, we discover that he's been using our life to write his story. And what a wonderful discovery that is. And we discover that we are being used by the sovereign one of the universe to fulfill his will. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? I want to remind you that I'm always here at the front. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, it is always my joy, my honor to pray with you. If you find yourself at a point where you're making a decision for Christ today, whether it be salvation, baptism, church membership, you know, it's always my honor to pray with you. With our heads bowed, I I ask you this question, and I will not embarrass you. I just want to pray for you today, but I ask you this question. Do you find yourself right now in a season of waiting? You say, Lash, yeah, I I am in that season of waiting. And I need prayer. Would you just pray for me? Would you just lift your hand right where you are? I won't embarrass you or anything like that. Uh, I find myself in a season of waiting right now. Lash, would you just pray for me? This is where I am in life. I see several hands up throughout the worship center today. Heavenly Father, I pray for these that find themselves right now at a critical juncture in life where they're waiting. And they're waiting for you to do something that only you can do. I pray that you might instill within them faith and strength. I pray that they might rest on your promises. Lord, that they might trust in you to make the changes that need to be made Lord, that if there are areas within our own soul and within our own heart that need changing, pray, Father, that we might submit to the sculpting of our soul so that we might be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Father, help us to prepare ourselves for that day when hope turns into reality. Help us, Lord, to trust you in all things and to realize that our faith in you is never misplaced. And so, Lord, many of us wait today for that day where you intervene. And as we wait, we are reminded of that day when you intervened into the scene so that we might be redeemed. And we realize that you are a good and gracious God. That you love us with a love that we cannot even comprehend. That you have done more for us than we can ever imagine. And we are so thankful to be your people. And to praise your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.